Good morning, everyone. My name is Hart Trailer. if you didn't already know that, and I'm one of the pastors here. And as always, it's an honor and a privilege to, to get to be up here to preach. Um, so I'm looking forward to this forward to this opportunity. Uh, before I get started, can we just, just spend a moment in prayer? God, I ask that you would speak through me right now and that I would uh, practice what I'm about to preach, that uh, the words I communicate this morning would be communicated in love, done with clarity, that I would proclaim this message in its entirety. And then I would rest in your sovereignty, knowing that uh, I'm going to mess up, I'm going to mix words, I'm going to be confusing at points probably, but you are sovereign and you can use our feeble attempts to communicate your gospel, uh, to still stir up wonder within the hearts of people. And I pray that not only would we wonder, but that we would ultimately ponder, that we would spend time deeply reflecting upon your, your good news and the truth that's contained in this, this Bible. Would you be glorified this morning? Uh, would you allow your kingdom to, to be advanced? Would you tear down the little kingdoms that we are trying to build for ourselves? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I thought before I would get started with the sermon that I'd give you all a quick update on my son Judah. Um, I gave you all one back in October, and it was kind of a cliffhanger moment. So I thought for those of you who hadn't heard the most recent, I'd give you that update. So uh, he was, of course, in the ICU back in October. But over the last two months, the Lord has just been so faithful to our family and taking care of us and uh, sustaining him. And he is doing very well now. We are out of the hospital. We have something like 40-something days left until we hit the 100-day mark, which is when we should hopefully get the green light to be able to finally come back home. So we are ecstatic and thrilled about that and um, counting on those days. So if y'all would just continue praying for us and pray that these this last month and a half would go by quickly. And um, the Lord has been so gracious, not only through sustaining Judah, but also just the way he's raised up the, the church to, to surround us and help us. And so y'all have been a blessing to us, but what's been remarkable is down in Charleston, he's raised up churches to adopt us and take us under their wings and, um, you know, providing meals and date nights. And there's a couple watching our boys this weekend so that Vanessa could come home. And it's the first time she's been home in months. And um, we were able to attend the, the church staff leadership Christmas party last night. And she gets to be here with us this morning. So we are just extremely grateful for how the Lord has been so kind to our family. Um, so if y'all would just continue praying for us. Um, now for the sermon this morning, uh, as you probably know, we're in the midst of our uh, Advent series, which is anthems, and we're looking at the four uh, songs that we see in the first two chapters of Luke. And uh, Matt, of course, kicked off the series looking at Mary's Magnificat, and then last week Fred walked us through Zechariah's Benedictus. And today we're going to be in the, um, the uh, uh, first half of Luke chapter 2, which we heard Linus recite a portion of it just a minute ago, um, and and contained inside the, the verses we're going to be looking at, um, there's a, a song. It's the third song. It's the angel song. It's just this little course that we're going we're gonna to take a moment to look at. Um, but before we get started with all that, so Matt and Fred made confessions the last two weeks how uh, during Christmas time they are prone to sometimes being Scrooges. Uh, so I thought I would keep the, tr uh, the trend going and I would confess to y'all something today that... Um, 
I did something in October that a lot of y'all would be appalled at and would probably find offense to, but I started listening to Christmas music. So <laughs> I love Christmas. I get super excited about it. Um, I just, I can't wait for it. I count down the days. So I wouldn't fall in the category of a Scrooge. I'd fall in the category of like a Buddy the Elf, just that obnoxious person <laughs> who's super excited about Christmas. Um, but for those of you who can relate to that, you know that the challenge is not getting excited about Christmas, but being excited about the wrong things. and. You know, getting excited about the traditions and the music and the, the gifts and all that stuff. And, and that's what I love about Charlie Brown Christmas is Charlie says, what's Christmas all about? And Linus says, I can tell you. And then he recites scripture. And I love that. That instead of just giving an answer in his own words, he says, I'm going to point you back to scripture. And I'm going to point you back to Christ, which is the reason we celebrate uh, Christmas. And so... Um, I just, I love that reminder, and I thought it would also be helpful because instead of y'all hearing me recite a portion of the text, it'd be fun to let him read that to us. But before we can get to the part about the, the angels and the shepherds in the field, um, we need to look at the, the opening verses of chapter 2. So if y'all would, go ahead and turn to, to Luke chapter 2, if you have it. And we're going to look at the first uh, five verses to kind of set the scene. Starting in verse 1, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So we've had this scene set. We see that there's this political mandate that's requiring a census, and, it, and through that, it, it has uh, Joseph and Mary have to go to Bethlehem, where she's ultimately, we're going to see in the next two verses, give birth to Jesus. Now, I don't know about y'all, but when I read verses like this, I tend to want to lump them in with like the genealogy verses and just kind of be like, there's too much facts there, there's too much information, but they don't, you know, they're not dripping with application, right? It's, I don't read it and say, oh, this is clearly how I should be living my life. I can take this nugget of truth and, and apply it to the way I live my life. But we should always approach uh, Scripture with a posture of humility and say, all right, God put it here for a reason. So what truths could we possibly be learning from it? So I see two things here that are helpful to me as reminders, and I hope they're, they're encouraging and helpful to you. The first thing we see is, is that the, what makes it somewhat boring is the facts. And that's a good thing because it reminds us that this is real. We're talking about real people. We're talking about real places. We're talking about real events. We're not a religion. We don't believe in fairy tales and, and mythology, do we? We believe that the events and the things contained in this word are true. So as we prepare to celebrate Christmas, we're not celebrating some you know, mythological figure. We're celebrating that God truly did come and dwell amongst us. The second thing I think we see here is the sovereignty of God. God uses this political mandate to get Mary and Joseph into Bethlehem where Jesus is going to be born. And that fulfills the prophecy that Christ, the Messiah, would come out of Bethlehem. So that should encourage us too. That should fill us with hope because it reminds us that God is sovereign. So think of the scariest, most wicked, evil political figure you can think of. And think of that person passing scary and horrible and evil laws. And yet we should not be scared because God is sovereign over that. And just as Joseph said to his brothers, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. We can rejoice in knowing that God reigns supreme over all things. And so God can use what man intended for evil to bring about his good and perfect will. 
So we've got the scene set. <clears throat> and then we move on to verses six and seven. And we're going to see here kind of the theme of oddity through the next verses. So let's go ahead and read verses six and seven, then I'll talk about, I'll talk to you what, I'm, what, about, what I mean about oddity. So verse six says, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. So we see that they get to Bethlehem, and the time comes for them to have the baby. And it, we're starting to see these odd moments now. And what I mean is, we see these moments where we say, God, why did you do it that way? I would have done it this way. If I was the author of the history of the world, I would have written it this way. Um, so the, the first one we see right here is uh, since Genesis 3.15, <clears throat> God made the promise that the Messiah would come. So we've waited thousands and thousands and thousands of years for his arrival. We finally get here, verses 6 and 7. He's here. And Luke, the way he writes, is just very matter-of-factly. Came time for her to be, give birth, and her firstborn son was born. Like, she, he doesn't even mention his name, Jesus. It's, oh, it's, it was her firstborn son. Like, it's just very matter-of-fact. So it's just kind of surprising that this moment that we've waited for, we've longed for for so long, is just kind of briefly summarized and quickly presented to us. The second thing we see here, and this one's not... I think this one shouldn't surprise us because we're, we've heard this one a lot, but it's the setting. He's put in a manger. We don't know exactly what, where they were, but it was probably some sort of stable or something like that. But again, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, has arrived. He's, he's here with us, and he's not born in a palace. He's not wrapped in the finest silks. He's not put in a cradle made of gold. He's just this average baby, and then he's in this weird setting, put in a manger. And so we're starting to see these moments like, wait a minute, God, why are you doing it that way? And then as we get into the next section, uh, which we heard Linus say, it, it, we continue to see these odd moments where Luke just kind of briefly says, oh yeah, he was born, and then immediately shifts this attention to several miles outside of town, to the countryside where you have these shepherds. So it's like, all right, there's not much attention given to the fact that he's been born. And then the fact that it's these shepherds and these angels and all this, it's just, it's getting weird. Um, and the shepherds, the, the oddness of that is they were a people in that society that were looked down upon. Now, we don't know. Some historians say they were despised. We don't know if that's true or not. But they were looked down upon. They were considered the lowest of low. They were not considered the best and the brightest, okay? They, that was a dirty job. It was a dangerous job. So that was not a desirable uh, position to be in in life, um, but the angels come to them and proclaim this good news to them. God reveals the arrival of the Messiah to them. So we keep seeing these odd moments of why are these things happening this way? Why is it unfolding this way? Um, now, I forgot to mention, but I'm actually just going to highlight these odd moments. Um, we're not going to address them individually. We're going to actually address them as a whole at the end. So as I point them out, just sort of mentally tuck them away and just say, oh, yeah, there's these odd moments that keep recurring. But we see something else that happens here uh, with the shepherds and the angels. We see proclamation occur. We see the angels proclaim to the shepherds. And then we're going to see the shepherds go out and proclaim this message um, that was proclaimed to them. And I think when we read through these verses, um, we're going to see, or at least 
I have five examples of things that I think we should allow to shape and steer the way we proclaim truth to others. And so I'm going to work through those five with y'all right now. Um, The first example is love. If you look at verse uh, 9, we're told, The angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So the shepherds are filled with this great fear. And then the angel's response is to say, Fear not, for behold, I bring you great news. So the shepherds were crippled by this fear. And the way the angel proclaims the news to them is through love. He comes and says, don't be afraid. I have this great news for you. You have no reason to be scared. And that's a reminder to us that when we proclaim truth to others, whether we're speaking to a brother and sister, we're trying to encourage them, or we're, we're rebuking them, or we're professing the gospel, we're proclaiming the gospel to a non-believer, we need to proclaim it in love. We need to pray and ask God to strip away the condemnation and the judgment that oftentimes fills our hearts. And we need to speak to them in love. And we need to ask God to fill our words, fill the tone of our voice with compassion and gentleness um, and proclaim that to them in love. The second thing we see is the angel proclaims this message to the shepherds clearly. So we see clarity here. It's, there's no doubt about what's being told to them, right? The shepherds don't walk away scratching their heads saying, what in the world was that about? What was, what was the angel trying to tell us? I'm really confused now. It's very clear that the message was, the Messiah is here, and this is how you can find him. So the reminder to us is when we proclaim truth to others, we need to make it clear. We need to be clear in the way we communicate it to people. And I think with clarity, there's two important things we have to keep in mind. First, to be able to clearly communicate something to people that means you have to know what you believe. If you don't know what you believe and you're trying to tell someone about it, you know, if you think about it in school, when you don't know the answer, you're just kind of, we're going to work around it. You're going to just sort of give out these nonsensical answers that, because you're just trying to be really vague because you don't know what you're talking about. So we need to know what we believe. So that means we need to study the Bible. We need to know theology. We need to know why do I believe this specific thing? And we need to know why These people over here believe this, and this is what they believe, and this is why I disagree with them, and I can look to Scripture and point to why I would disagree with them. So we need to have a clear understanding on our end of what we believe so we can communicate that to people. But on the other end, we also have to have discernment in the way we communicate our knowledge to people. If you bombard someone with too much information, they're going to be bogged down. So we saw with the angel's message, it's a simple message. It's not this. He doesn't go into theology. He doesn't go into these deep points in that moment. So we don't want to bog people down at the same time. There's a time and a place to talk theology. There's a time and a place to, to talk about Calvinism versus Arminianism. Or there's a time and a place to say, hey, my denomination believes this and yours believes this. And let's have a discussion about that. When you're presenting the gospel to someone, it's probably not a good time to get into those deep points. It's, you need to try to keep it clear and concise. The third point, the third thing we see is entirety. We see that the angels proclaim this message in its entirety to the shepherds. We see that in two ways. If you look at 11 um, and 12, we're told that uh, on this day in the city of David, a Savior is born, and this will be a sign for you. He will be wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. 
So they present the whole, uh, um, they present the message entirely. So they give them all the information about it, right? They say, hey, you can find the Messiah. It's not just, hey, he's been born, but it's you're going to find him in the city of David and you're going to find him in swaddling claws and lying in the manger. But we also see it in verse 14 when they sing this song. They say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And I think this is the bigger point about entirety. If you think about what the song is saying, it's actually an offensive song because it's saying, my God is better than yours. And it's also saying, my God gives peace to those he's pleased with. So that means God is pleased with some people and he gives peace to them. But there's also those that God is not pleased with, and therefore he is not going to give peace to them. And of course, in this society we live in, that's, that's a pretty offensive thing. Like We get a little uncomfortable thinking about saying that to someone, don't we? But the reality is we must proclaim truth in its entirety. So if we're telling someone the gospel, we need to tell them the whole gospel. We can't simply say, oh, Jesus loves you. That's not the gospel. That's a portion of the gospel. The gospel is we were conceived in our sins and iniquities. We were born children of wrath. We are dead in our trespasses and sin. We rightfully deserve God's wrath and punishment. But God, being rich in mercy through his son Jesus, offers us salvation. We need to proclaim that good news in its entirety. We cannot hold back, even if it's an offensive thing to say. Now, I know for me that just those three points right there, that's already an overwhelming thing. That's to, to, to do those three things well individually is a hard thing to do. And then to do them simultaneously is even harder because in our minds we say, well, if I'm supposed to proclaim it in love, but in its entirety and that's offensive over there, how do those go together? So it, it's hard. I get that. But in the, this fourth point, we're reminded of God's sovereignty. And that, for me, has been such a sweet reminder, and it's lifted my spirits. If we go to verse 15, we see that when the angels went away from them into the heavens, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. I think it's interesting that verse 15 ends with them saying, The Lord has made known to us. We've just seen these angels here telling this message. But the, the shepherds ultimately say it was the Lord who gave us that message. And that's a reminder to us that God is sovereignly always at work. And so ultimately, at the end of the day, it's the Lord who makes his glory known. It's he who reveals his truth. It's he who draws people to himself. It's not our job to save. It's not our job to reveal his glory. Our job is to proclaim his words. And at the end of the day, he will be the one who receives the glory. He will be the one who receives the attention. And so that should comfort us. That should encourage us. Because if you've recently witnessed to someone and you walked away going, man, I really dropped the ball. And that I, I had such a great opportunity to share the gospel with them. But I just feel like I was so confusing. And I didn't really know what I was saying. Or you were trying to comfort someone and, you know, who's suffering and you didn't know what to say. So you end up saying the most cliche thing possible. And you walk away going, gosh. How did I say that to them? Or maybe you're talking to your brother or sister and you see, man, they are in sin and they need to be called out right now. And you call them out and they get mad at you and maybe you didn't do it in the most loving way. So you're walking away, man, I really hope that I, I, I showed love to them even in the moment that I called them out. We need to rejoice and um, take comfort in the promise that God is sovereign over those things. And so he can take our feeble words. He can take the mumbled and jumbled mess that we oftentimes present to people and he will draw people to himself if it pleases him. 
this last point is kind of wonder and ponder. Um, so let's pick up in verse 16. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the, bi- the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So we see here that the shepherds, they've just received this message from the angels, from the Lord. And now they've gone out and they're proclaiming this good news. And we see that as they proclaim it, it's causing people to wonder. Now, we need to be fair to the text. We don't want to misconstrue what's here. And I think sometimes there's a temptation to do that so we can make a nice, fancy point. So it's not saying, hey, go out and proclaim the gospel and thousands of people are going to believe instantly. Um, we don't see that happen here. We, we, we don't know how many people they talk to, but we see it did cause people to wonder. But wonder does not mean belief. You can be amazed at something, but still not believe. But we do see, though, that when God's glory is revealed, it at least causes people to stop and to wonder and to be amazed, even if it's just for a moment. But then we also see with Mary, how it specifically impacted her. The wonder ends up leading to something deeper. It leads to her treasuring these things and pondering them in her heart. It leads her to deeply reflecting on all this. And the ponder that we see right there, the way that's translated, it means that she was putting together pieces. So essentially what what's being said here is Mary's reflecting back probably on the last nine months of her life. And she's thinking about the message Gabriel proclaimed to her, you know, her, her cousin Elizabeth prophesying over her saying, you're carrying our Lord. Um, Joseph, who's going to break off the engagement and then comes back to her to say, you know, I just saw an angel and he confirmed what you've been telling me. And now you have these shepherds randomly show up out of the blue and are saying, we just met these angels who told us that we were going to find you in here with this baby, and this baby's the Messiah. Is this true? So she's pondering these things in her head saying, oh, wow, this is really true. Like, it's just affirmation after affirmation for her. It's bolstering her faith. And that's the reminder to us that when we proclaim truth, it may not lead someone to belief. But we still need to proclaim it because we never know how God is going to use it. It may cause someone to to pause temporarily and wonder at it, or it may be exactly what someone needs to hear, and it bolsters their faith. As you proclaim how God is growing you, how he is disciplining you, how he's uh, caring for you, how he's reminding you of his goodness and his faithfulness, as you proclaim those things to people, someone may hear that. That may be the exact same thing or the exact thing they needed to hear in that moment. Someone may be struggling and say, man, I really don't know if God is good right now or I'm, I'm losing sight of the faithfulness of God right now. And as we proclaim what God's doing in our lives, it's an encouragement to people and, and the Lord will oftentimes use it to bolster their faith. Um, we're going to look at verse 20 real quick. And um, I have just sort of one random point that I was going to make with that and that kind of also will lead us back into the themes of oddity. So we see the shepherds, Uh, They returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I think what's neat that we see right here is the shepherds have gone. They've seen, hey, this is actually correct. The angels told us we'd find this baby. We did find them. But what's neat is we're told they returned glorifying God. It's they weren't disappointed when they got there. They didn't go, oh, He's in a manger, not in this palace. Like he, He's not where we were expecting him. He's not what we would have expected him to be. 
but they still believed he's our Savior. And so that, that carried them forth to continue glorifying God and praising him. But of course, that also reminds us of the oddity of it all. Again, it takes us back to the manger and the oddness of the manger and the fact that the Messiah has come as this humble baby and all this. And so when we look at these odd moments, I think there's two things that um, I want to point out that we see here. The first is um, we're reminded from 1 Corinthians 27 that God uses the foolish to shame the wise and the weak to shame the strong. And when we look at these odd moments, what do, what do we see consistently over and over and over? We see humility, right? We see that Christ did not enter this world with the fanfare and the pageantry that we would have expected. Instead, as the last song talked about, we, he entered through this whisper. He entered without, or he entered with very little attention. Jesus would later on say that the Son of Man came to serve and not to be served. So we see him enter this world with a servant's heart, and we see that carried out to when he ultimately humbles himself and uh, dies on the cross. And so we see that Christ's entire time on this earth is marked by a posture of humility. The second thing is that, uh, if, if you recall, the Lord tells Abraham back in Genesis that, through his descendant, through Jesus, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. So salvation is going to be made available to all. And we are reminded of that. We see that demonstrated in the fact that it was proclaimed to those who would have been considered the least worthy to receive that message. The shepherds would have been the most unlikely people, most unworthy people to have received this message, to receive this opportunity to go see the Messiah and then to go proclaim his arrival. And yet that's who God chose to make it known to. And it's a reminder to us that despite our sins that stain us, despite our unworthiness, salvation is available to us. It's not, Christ didn't come to save the, the strong and the healthy. He came to save, to serve, to comfort the weak and the needy and the poor and the sick, right? And that's us. We're not strong. We're not powerful and great and mighty. We are in desperate need of his salvation, and it is available to us through him. So as we continue preparing for Christmas, and we've got two weeks exactly today, let us rejoice in the fact, the fact that Jesus did come he walked among, amongst us. He lived that sinless life. He fulfilled the law and that through his death, burial, and resurrection, he conquered sin and through him we can find salvation. And as we spend time with our family and our friends, as we go to office parties and family reunions and bowl game parties and New Year's Eve parties and all these different things, let us pray that the Lord would fill us with the joy and that we would not be ashamed of this gospel, and that we would be willing to proclaim it to people, and we would proclaim it in love. We would proclaim it clearly. We would proclaim it in its entirety, and we would trust that God is sovereignly over all of that, and that somehow through it, he may cause others to wonder. Now, at this point, we're going to transition to communion. We do this every week. Uh, so for those of you who... Um, have called upon the name of the Lord and have been saved. This time is for you. This is a, a time for us to reflect on the broken body of Christ and the blood that he shed so that we can be redeemed through that. 
Um, so if you're a, a member, of course, it's, you're, it's open to you. But if you're uh, a visitor, if this is you're a regular attender here, you're also welcome to, to join us at the table. But if you're not a believer, I would ask that you would refrain because this is something God has designed specifically for his children. And, um, but I would ask that during this time that you would, you would perhaps wonder and ponder about uh, these truths that are contained in, in this word. Let's pray. God, thank you that you would send your son into this world to rescue us. And I pray that as your truth is revealed to us, that we would be a people that reflect upon it deeply and that your truth would transform us and that we would boldly and joyfully go and proclaim it to others. We pray all this in his name. Amen.